0: let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your son, his message, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We would ask that you would center our lives on him and we'd see his demand for that today in this passage. In your son's name, amen. We're in Matthew 12. It was almost 10 years to the week I was last in this passage. It was one one week less than 10 years. I should have waited perhaps a week. It's one of those passages that you feel well, you've read a lot. It's one of those passages that people turn to because it's got that bit about the unforgivable sin okay and people find i don't know people who don't ever study the bible that ever read a thing and they and they find out you're a pastor and they say what about the unforgivable sin what do you think that is or what do you think with the end times there's certain things is the special verses they can quote and the message is not about the unforgivable sin, though we'll, we'll walk through that moment in his comments. Matthew 12:22. Then a blind and dumb demoniac, that means somebody with a demon, was brought to him and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Well, just the, the cool factor of using the word Beelzebul, which comes from Beelzebub, the Old Testament God. Beelzebub. You, if you know certain things, they know little about the Bible, they know there's an unforgivable sin, Beelzebub, Lucifer, Satan, they know those words, because they are followers of those agents. Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, the lord of the flies. In case you wondered where that name, the lord of the flies, came from, that's what Beelzebub means. The lord of the flies, the lord of the swarming, some people say it's Lord of the high place, but generally it's Lord of uh, Lord of the flies. Some people think that's an insult, kind of the Jews referring to this false religion and false God as you know just a Lord of dung hill sort of thing. I'm not so sure that's what it is. There's something awful threatening when you say the Lord of the flies, and they just said that about Jesus. Now, you might not like Jesus that much, or you might think that Jesus is overrated, but you probably never would say, well, I don't. I think the Prince of Demons is inspiring him. You can see where theological camps and disagreements, what it pushes people to, they say radical things. They say as harsh a thing as they can imagine. Your mother was a Hittite, or... Something like that. By the prince of demons, he casts out demons. It comes from, the reference, if you want to look him up in the Old Testament, is in 2 Kings 1, where one of the kings of Israel uh, is has gotten sick, and so he goes and inquires of Baalzebub, the, the god of Ekron. Ekron was one of the five lords of the Philistines um, which may be where the Lord of the Swarming idea came from Lord of the Flies because the, the great migration that in 1200 BC came out of Asia Minor that it was a, like, a, like a swarm um, that came down through the Levant and settled in the five lords of the Philistines where we get the name, one of the tribes was the Peleset where you get the name Palestine where you get the name Philist Philistine so Palestinians are claiming this connection all the way back. Matter of fact, Gaza was one of the five cities of the Philistines. Gazagath, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashgod, and Ekron. And Beelzebub was the god of Ekron. And Elijah takes a dim view of the king of Israel sending a messenger to the god of Ekron and not considering God himself. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Now, Jesus seems to at least positionally put Satan and Beelzebub together. It's up to you whether or not you identify the two agents it's popularly done and this would be the reason. But he's basically saying you don't seem to you guys are just lashing out. You're making a claim about what I'm doing that doesn't even make sense. Satan wouldn't do this. Cast out demons. That'd be working against his own interests. And if I cast out demons by Baelzebel, by whom do your sons cast them out? If you're thinking the very act of casting out a demon qualifies you for serving the Lord of Darkness. And because exorcism was very popular, it is now in the movies for Americans. I guess they got a real Catholic priest who does them that they're trying to make a movie about. I'm not sure. But exorcisms were very popular back in the dead. Josephus writes about it and how the Jewish exorcists would use, I guess Nero had a Jewish exorcist perform an exorcism for him Um, in front of him as a palace entertainment so he's saying you're just you're not even thinking about what's going on here, you're not even thinking about the war that is involved or the meaning of your words, your sons are casting out demons Therefore, they shall be your judges. Do you realize that what you're saying is nonsensical? Satan is not interested in fighting against his own kingdom. The Son of Man, the Son of the Kingdom, the Son of God is not interested in fighting against his kingdom. But you have to make some decisions. It's, it's sort of their insults has introduced the topic so you guys don't. Understand what you're talking about. Well, what if I am doing it by the Spirit of God? Verse 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That, there's a sort, sort of, you have to admit certain ultimate things. Who was it? I think Jake was talking about how people have these rather shallow objections to the Bible. It's almost like they've never read the Sermon on the Mount. They've never read a section like this where you see this very intriguing conversation about ethics, spiritualities, and very sensibly done. Not like some sort of fairy tale. Not like You'd read in a, in a, in a Disney picture book about Sleeping Beauty. It's not that kind of thing. We're not we're not dealing with the structure of fiction. And if it is by the Spirit of God, because an awful lot. Hangs on that. I can make the the, the idea of the non believers saying, "Well, it's just fairy tale. People are just—they're doing the same thing the Pharisees did here. It is just by uh, some flip, casual, careless condemnation of what it is you're representing." And you can say, "Well, you know, that does even make it. That doesn't even make sense. You don't know what a fairy tale is. You don't know how they're structured." You haven't read the book itself. That's what Jesus says. You're you're, you're standing about Satan doesn't hold any water. It doesn't seem to really account for what is even going on in your own life. And what if I am doing this by the Spirit of God? Because if so, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 29, or how can one enter a strong man's house? And plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now that is a really, who, what is he talking about? Well, it's just a truth, right? It's just a truth now when we remember that Satan is not going to work against his own kingdom and Christ is not going to work against his own kingdom people don't work against their own kingdoms if they want to persist we forget in some cases that there are kingdoms that are against themselves and are destroying themselves and they're not aware of the conflict or you forget that between the kingdoms that serve their interests the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God They're both fighting for houses, nations, cities, to seize. The demon wants to possess the dumb and blind demoniac, and Christ wants to heal him and cast out the demon. We all stand in the place of the blind and dumb demoniac. We're all standing there getting possessed or getting exorcised, getting plundered. And it has to be a stronger agent than you to do so. Now, I just leave that verse to be what it is. It is a statement of, that of course would have to be, for me to take stuff away from you and you were stronger than I, I'm not going to do it. If I'm a stronger agent, I've got more guns, I've got a squad of people we can rush in, or a SWAT team can rush in and take a criminal, whatever it is, you can do that. You may plunder the house if you're stronger. And then he says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Because the what if has moved to if is, is manifestly important. Not a, you know, go home and think about this what if. What if Jesus Christ is speaking by the Spirit of God? Then, of course, it's the kingdom of God. But then he draws a line in the sand, the famous line in the sand that occurred in about 160, 171 BC when Antiochus IV Epiphanes was in Egypt and he ran into a Roman proconsul was, Rome was just at its biggest attitude, expansion sort of attitude before they were empire and, uh, and the Roman proconsul told him he's going to have to leave Egypt and Antiochus said well I'll think about it the Roman proconsul took a stick and drew a circle around Antiochus in the sand and said well just tell me what you decided before you leave the circle well he decided to leave Egypt drawing a line Jesus Christ says, if you're not with me, it's not just, oh, Jesus, I'll give you a certain benefit, I got some doubts. If you're not with me, you're actually against me. The conflict is going to be harmful to you. If you're not gathering with Christ, you're scattering. Unless you're standing with the thing that is the kingdom of God, you're against the kingdom of God. Now, there is another time where Christ tells his disciples who have a, a bad attitude about someone who's not traveling with them, who is casting out demons in the Lord's name, and they said, we rebuked him, Lord. Didn't we do right? And he said, you do not know of what spirit you are. He who is not against me is for me. So he says the reverse at one point, but answering a different kind of moral problem. It's not addressing the same moral problem. But here, as you're trying to consider where Jesus stands, if it is by the Spirit of God, then it's the kingdom of God. And let's for a moment consider that it is, and if it is, it is, there's no half measures here. Therefore, because there's no half measures, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come, in case you were wondering. How about of the next? No, not even of the next. Oh, well, what is it? Well, look at the context. It's not just some sort of hidden magical blasphemy crime because we don't use the word blasphemy, right? anymore. Um, they had just done so. They had in a casual Uh, annoyed way. People were going, is this Son of David? Meaning, is this the Messiah? And the Pharisees were going, hold it, he is not part of our group. How could the Messiah not be a Pharisee? Ah, he's a, a, your mother was a Frenchman, or something like that. It was the same quote as last week in the Monty Python. Insulting him. But in that, he says, if it's by the Spirit of God, you know what you just did? It says, I think in the Luke account of this, maybe it's the Mark account, he, he, he tells them about this blasphemy problem. It says, because they said he had a demon. And that's what they're saying. Oh, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, and this man casts out demons. He is empowered by the prince of the demons. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because if the spirit of God dwells in him, then the kingdom of God has come. They have just taken the spirit of God in Christ and said, that's Beelzebul, the Lord of the flies. Now, it is either that is the crime or that is what the crime is like. He's warning them about what they did. Because if this isn't true, the decision about this, the crisis in our lives is is pretty big. You're either for him or against him. And he encourages a little bit more on this, on this line, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. What's your view of Jesus Christ? That's a first consideration. What's your view of Christ? Because that's what he's asking, that's what the discussion is about right here. Don't say that I am doing good things for bad motives. Either make the tree good and fruit good, or tree bad and fruit bad. Because that's where you really know what's going on. And this is where another key passage that my mother quoted to me all the time. Not the you brood of vipers, that wasn't the, because that would make her a viper, because they would be the brood of vipers. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? This is where the measure, if I'm going to do the measuring, if I realize how important the measure is and how sometimes flip people can be about their beliefs or other people's beliefs. People who are in a state of not knowing, they get out there and they waltz around with their doubts loud and, uh, and like they're in charge of something they don't even understand. Making great pronouncements about what's going on when they have claimed to be agnostics. You want to turn to them and go, you don't know squat, and you might want to watch your mouth. Because because it's in those things, this is the, what my mother quoted, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. This is the fruit that Jesus says, look at, the, look, look at what is said. Look at what is said. How does it speak? Is the fruit good? Is the fruit bad? And it, you say... Well, that's really hard to tell. I've been in church and talked to people that say all sorts of saccharinely good things, and I know their lives are not good. Well, this is why you say either make the tree good and good. You are like a shrubbery element of the tree that Christ Christ is, good and good, or he's bad and he's bad, and you are going to be sharing in that. You are um, either going to be possessed by the things of The dark forces or you're going to be possessed by the Spirit of God and you're either going to be plundered by one or the other. Whoever is stronger than you is going to win. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And listen to this, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. Because you can tell, I'm a pastor, I know. People come up and talk to me. And they like to be either seen talking to the pastor or seen, they are very conscious of what they say. People don't generally let their swear words slip out around me. It's how you know, you know, mom. When mom is there, you don't cuss. Everybody says, oh, I can't stop cussing. Yes, you do, because you stop it when your mom's there. You stop it when the pastor walks in. (coughs) God bless America. (laughs) Judah's priest. Things come out differently. Because those are planned moments. Those are when you're in control, right? That's when you're, you're practicing your hypocrisy. Everybody knows how to practice hypocrisy. Everybody knows how to pretend that the tree is good. Everybody wants to. When they want to be seen as good, they pretend the tree is good. And they will speak words that sound good. And you wonder, say, how would I ever know? Well, just like God, catch them in their careless words. Catch them when they're not thinking about what they say. Because that's oddly enough when you're able to speak your mind. When it's careless. Because that's what's in your mind. My mother used to say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Evan. Because I was being sarcastic about something. And I would just tell her, Mother, I'm abundantly sarcastic. That's how I got out from under it. Every careless word. Verse 37, it's not this way in your Bibles, but I made it this way on the page centered, broken in half, for by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Because they're the dipstick. How you speak. Are you someone who wanders the edge of blasphemy? Where you don't speak of holy things the way holy things actually are? Because if holy things exist, if the sacred exists, if the sacred exists, if it's by the Spirit of God, then if you're not with it, you're against it. If you're not with it, you may be committing a sin that will haunt you forever. It doesn't say anything about the salvation of the person who committed the unforgivable. Let's say you did it. You were having four or five beers into it. And you attributed to the Spirit of God something demonic. And a light went off in your head and you knew... You knew that no matter how much you repented or pled or asked, no matter what you pointed at the death of Jesus Christ, he had said, you could have insulted me and I would forgive you, but you don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit in this age or in the age to come. You will not be forgiven. Now, doesn't, I don't know whether or not you get to go to heaven and not be forgiven of one thing. I mean, I, I don't understand that the, the cosmology is there. But consequently, we're to realize, you know, this is, the, this is like taking out too many school loans. <laughs> okay, this is like I've got a lot of debt that will never, ever be repaid. Do you know, if you don't take this question seriously, the judgment still happens. And we don't take the agnostics' view of their world and say, okay, let's all act like agnosticism is the real. No, because it's not. Not knowing is their problem. And it's a bigger problem because they don't know. They could do something unforgivable. Whatever that is, and whatever they're doing carelessly, they will be judged by how their fruit comes out of them. Because God wants to know what's in your heart. And the abundance of your heart will come out how you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is all putting the Pharisees back on their heels. They just got, you know, they they were just funnin'. They were just, oh, maybe he has Beelzebul casting out demons. And he looks at them and says, maybe you better shut the heck up. Because maybe... You did something you will never be forgiven for. That's a little awkward. The conversation comes a little stilted at this point. So they've got to get back in the offensive posture. They've got Jesus on the defense. That's what they want to do with you as well, the non-believer. They want to say, well, prove to me that Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus is God, or God exists, or you know, how can so many things happen that are so bad in the world if there's a God? And some of the Pharisees and scribes said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Why don't you, Jesus, okay, why don't you pony up with something impressive? He just cast out a demon, which I have not done yet. And I'm a professional. I have not done this in my life. A blind and dumb demoniac was brought to him. He casts out the demon, the guy who could not speak or hear, or see or hear? Was it see or speak? Dumb is speaking, right? Could? But it's never enough. Believe me. As Jesus said, if one were to return from the dead, they would not believe. But they want they love to have that leverage. They want to put you in the position. You don't exist in this world to be on the defensive. There's a danger. The word apologia means to make a case for. We attach it to apology, which can make it sound almost obsequious as you're trying to make the world, oh, please understand and understand what I'm saying and get my philosophy and my argument for science. And the Bible and the scriptures and our understanding. There's, there's some good stuff out there, but there's a, sometimes there's a defensive aspect to it. <clears throat> but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Nina Nina. Now this is not someone like you who said, well... I'm not doing any miracles today because you guys don't deserve it. This is a guy that could do the miracle. Okay? He could do the miracle. How many of us would rush forward to do the miracle if we could do the miracle? Some non christians says, well, you know, if you're, if you're a, you know, an apostle of God, why don't you walk across that, you know, lake? Somebody, just a second, you walk across the lake and back. He goes, well... So that probably mirrors that's how you did it you're probably like Chris Angel David Blaine just a magician You go, hold on I just did a miracle for you. why is this not working because an evil and adulterous generation aren't going to believe when you do what they ask you are laying something in front of them I have a quote from the holy scriptures here I know what you're thinking did he fire six shots, or only five? Well, to tell you the truth and all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you punk? No sign will be given this generation but the sign of Jonah. He doesn't even tell them what that is accurately. They don't even know what he's dealing with here. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we know what that means because we've got 2,000 years of Christendom telling you about, you know, Jesus' Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. But if you're on the near side of that and standing in front of you, what's he talking about? Who's the Son of Man? Why three days and three nights in the belly of the earth? And what does that have to do with the whale? He says, that's it. I'm going to speak obscurely about it, and you're going to get one thing. And if you don't, because you're wicked, you get less. And you better answer to this moment... And the fact that Clint couldn't remember how many shots he squeezed off, it's a great scene, you wanna go watch it on YouTube. He leaves it up to the gentleman on the ground who he's just shot in the leg to decide if he feels lucky. How do you feel about this? Because that generation The men of Nineveh will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is really leaning into these guys. They were just mocking him a little bit in a standard theological brawl, and he says, I'm not going to have any of it. I am greater than you imagine, the the megalomania of the guy notwithstanding, but if he is the spirit of God, and this goes back to the trilemma of C.S. Lewis, he's either crazy, or he's a con, or he's, um, you better listen. And the queen of the south will arise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here. What are the two things that were done they repented at the preaching of Jonah and they came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and greater preaching than Jonah's and greater wisdom than Solomon is standing in front of them. And this evil and adulterous generation is getting one chance. Well, do you feel lucky? This is the strong man that is offering to plunder your house, to cast out your demons. Because everybody's making these little, uh... oh, you see a lot on TV about hoarding. And of so you have family members or circumstances you know of, or someone's house becomes under the weight of this. Even if you were absolutely clean throughout your whole life, that no matter what, futility tears it down. No matter what, the new refrigerator will be an old refrigerator in ten years. How does it get so grubby? How does nothing work in it anymore? How does it break? And everything you do, everyone's trying to deal with the demons in their life. They want to clean the house. They want to have a stable world that is not attacking itself. It says a house divided cannot stand. We're talking about plundering a strong man's house. Unless you can't take his stuff out, take his stuff away, unless you're stronger. And he's basically, Jesus is setting out, I am greater than all of these things. No matter what you do, whatever New Year's—what do they call resolutions? Or you find some great philosophy. I was out at Kinko's getting some copies. I guess you get the kind. i was standing there waiting for them, and they had these books for sale, or current books that FedEx Kinko's, the guide to all of our lives, is telling us to think about. And one guy had written a hardback book on the ten keys to being happy. I thumbed through it. Best of luck. People want to be happy. And they're going to do everything. They're going to listen to old philosophers. They're going to listen to new philosophers. They're going to listen to music they like. They're They're going to come up with psychological explanations or take certain drugs to adjust their perspective. Because everybody wants to. Everybody's sweeping their house. Everybody is trying to put it in order. But you better have a stronger man there. Because whatever demons you cast out, they're stronger than you too. If you don't have something stronger, if you don't recognize the greatness of Christ, if you don't say, you know, something greater than anything I could imagine is here, Yes, he is of the spirit of God. And yes, the kingdom of God has come upon us. And yes, I'm going to be on his side because if I'm not, I'm against him. And I don't want to be in that situation. My sense of luck has run out. Because if I don't fill the void of my cleaning, if, you know, some people just persist in being messed up, hoarders till they die. Some of you try to clean up your lives on periodic installments of Of Lysol and whatever else you have to do putting order to it buying enough rubber bins from Walmart when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man comes back around he just cast out a blind and dumb demoniac demon from this kid or this man the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest. There's a general suspicion that demons like moisture. I'm not going into that. said moisture. Evan, what do you spend your time thinking about? And where? In the tub. Yes. But, uh, but de- demon uh, exorcists used in, in classical antiquity used to use bowls of water to lure the demon out of people. Christ cast the demoniac legion the means, out of the, guy, the Gadarenes and they went into the pigs and the pigs ran down into the water hmm. well waterless places seem to bother demons but it's not that important that you know that seeking rest but he finds none then he says I will return to my house from which I came because if you are that territory that the powers of darkness are trying to take the fact that you got cleansed by the sons of the Pharisees and the demons were cast out just because you were able to put your life back together on a good footing and finally get your debts paid off and and your kids married off and everything seems to be in its place I will return to my house from which I came and then he comes he finds it empty swept and put in order You know what you like to do to hotel rooms. Dr- just You're walking out of the bathroom, you just drop the towel. Because you know, even if you're there the next day, it's going to be back on the hook. Folded up in a pretty shape by the people paid too little money. You mess the room up. If you're a rock star, you really mess it up. the demon comes back to your life, finds it swept. Demons like moisture and you've got a hot tub in the room. Here's a little reference to Milton. You've created pandemonium. Pandemonium, you get the word from Milton. All the demons. Pan all demonium. The demons and It was like a demon hotel, okay? And Satan and all of his gang were creating pandemonium. And that's so apt. It's what's going to happen to your life. Because there's no no place in the middle. You're either for or against. And if you just try to tidy things up, clean things up, do not look at the greatness of Christ. What, What Jake read this morning about the wisdom of this world we're not seeking wisdom, we're seeking Christ because in him is the wisdom we seek, because the wisdom greater than Solomon's is in him the preaching and the repentance the message of Christ, the death burial and resurrection the sign of Jonah, those are the only things that he has to offer us but it's in him he goes and finds and brings with him seven other spirits more evil than himself. That's why I said pandemonium. He goes out and gets a bunch. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So shall it be also with this evil generation. Jesus was in a take no prisoners sort of, well do you punk sort of attitude at this moment. This generation is going to get repossessed. Whatever you clean out without turning to the greatness that is Christ. That's the only way you're going to have a way out. Until you stop and go, okay, how do I deal with Christ? Not how do I deal with getting better, getting more together in my thinking... Uh, more confident in what I'm doing. It's not a self-improvement course. It's worship of the living God, His Son Jesus Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit. Because anything lasts. I have this passage I was looking at earlier this morning out of Matthew 6, right at the bottom there on the left-hand side. It's out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's obscure. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. That makes sense. If I'm blind, it's going to be dark in here. Then he says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Not just if you're blind, but if what you're shining into you to begin with, it's not light doesn't matter if you're blind or, or got 20-20 vision. If it's darkness you're looking at, how great is the darkness? We have to look at Christ because something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah. The kingdom of God is upon us. You've got to decide whether you're for him or not. He who gathers with him or he who doesn't. Deal with that first because you want a strong man standing there not just an empty room nice and swept up. Where You go, you see it in Hollywood all the time. Off to rehab. Two weeks later I'm clean. And, and out they go to get ruined again. And it's almost like clockwork. You set your watches by Lindsay Lohan. When is she going to show up again? You watch them, you know, going down and flaming out. Well, they're just sweeping up the house, preparing to entertain some more demons. You've got to find someone greater, someone stronger. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful that your Son is greater, that He is the kingdom of God your kingdom, come upon us. We'd ask that we would stand strong in that, that we'd repent at his words, that we would guard our lives by his wisdom, that we would cross heaven and earth to find it. Lord, keep us eyeing how we speak, so that our judgment of ourselves would be as true as yours. And keeping us us in our carelessness from saying things unforgivable. In your Son's name, Amen.